The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf, and co-host, Keith Campagna. Uh, welcome back to another Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show. Uh, we're here to talk about the presidential debate. So not really. really. I think everybody's had enough of that. Uh, We're exhausted uh, from listening last night. Sure, other people are, regardless of which side of the political parties you're on or how you were listening. Uh, But we're here today to talk about uh, what we're always talking about, Googleization, geeks and geezers. Uh, We're talking about the convergence of technology and people and change and demographics and all those sorts of things. And uh, we got a great guest today, really excited about this. Uh, the Talent War um, was first uh, recognized in 1992, I think. I think uh, McKinsey came out and they called, there was gonna be a talent war. Here we are almost 30 years later, we're still talking about a talent war. And today's guest, I have a new book coming out about the talent war. So we're going to be uh, talking to uh, Mike Sorelli and George Randall. Uh, great, great backgrounds. Um, Mike was a, a, Navy, a former Navy SEAL officer, and George was a U.S. Army officer. And uh, they are now operating in the talent acquisition and recruitment space, uh, which is one of our sweet spots there, Keith. Uh, and it, it's just incredible. And I know, you know, you were pretty, you were a mere child at the time, adolescent, probably 1992, when they start talking about the talent war. And then, you know, I started to talk about the perfect labor storm in, in the late nineties and then wrote the book and then, you know, almost 20 years ago, hard to believe, uh, you know, talking about what, how tough it was and how, how much worse, I can't say worse, much more challenging and difficult. It was going to be to hire the right people, uh, find skilled talent, what the shortages were going to be. And, and there were a lot of moving parts, you know, everywhere from women being a more integral part in the workplace. Women actually, uh, we, we talk about the need for more job skills and more education and men were dropping out of the workforce and women were getting their, their doctorates and, and uh, graduate degrees in colleges. And, you know, at one time where, you know, if you had one or two token women, uh, forget about color, but one or two token women uh, in a professional class, uh, whether it's physicians, dentists, accountants, attorneys, it was the rare exception. And now they make up 60, sometimes 70 percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, of everybody. So just many, many, many different factors uh, that are going on. And uh, so really excited today that we've got uh, Mike and George will be joining us talking about the talent war and uh, what some of the hiring mistakes that they're seeing. And they work with a lot of military, too. So excited to talk about how we can get more of our military, that, that expertise, more of the military, our veterans 
uh, back in the workplace as well. So a lot of, a lot of topics there. What's going and, on? You know, I think honestly, this is a great, this is greatly timed because we talked a lot about the war on talent pre COVID. Then the, the fit hit the Shan or the shift hit the plan, so to speak, as it relates to what people can do with talent and everybody just hunkered down and, and, or it seemed like people hunkered down. We'll learn more about that from Nate and George in a little bit, but as we start to open up a little bit, at least here in the U.S., I wonder how this talent acquisition challenge is going to play out. Because, you know, if, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I tie in the talent acquisition reality to life-work integration, which is to say that the days of pretending that the way a person works is separated from the way they live their life are gone. COVID exp- you know, expedited that for, for, for us in terms of that message. So I'm curious to find out how it is that companies not only are addressing their talent needs, not only are they addressing their leadership needs, but how are they addressing the idea that now, according to McKinsey, 60% of the workforce is not going back into a workforce environment so how does that tie into all of this? I'm thrilled to have these guys on the show. Yeah, and, and I'll throw one other kinkier in there. Yesterday I did a webinar with Scott McKenzie. He's another, another uh, Geek Skeezers and Googleization alumni. And we we're talking about e-learning and micro-learning. And, and obviously that took a huge jump start uh, with, the, uh, with COVID. Uh, and in doing some research for that, came up with a statistic and, and blew me away. Uh, I think I don't think the statistic itself will shock you, except I want I wonder what it will be now and then how the pandemic actually accelerated this, which leads back into the talent acquisition of who were, you know, I, I keep saying that the the skill shortage did not go away. It got worse because now overnight everybody needed additional skills even if it was simple as digital skills but right. now we need to learn how to work from home we need to, and and if you're even if even if you are part of your workforce is working from home and you're a manager now you need to learn how to manage people who are working from home you can't you can't, <laughs> you can't see what they're doing and right. so now managers need to to learn how to work differently and people working from home need to learn how to work differently and then and then the the complexity of our jobs not only where we work got work, more difficult but the challenge our problem solving and communication and all that sort of stuff but this statistic just blew me away that by 2022 this and I'll, and I'll, what um well, I'll, I'll give you the statistic, then I'll tell you when it was given. By 2022, 42% of core skills required to perform existing jobs are expected to change. So four out of four out of 10 of our core skills, four out of 10 of our core skills, collaboration, communication, project management, decision-making, critical thinking, you know, uh, emotional intelligence, all those things that they, they lump into, here's the core skills that we need. Four out of 10 of those is going to change. The the, the thing that was most striking with that is that was published in January of 2020, before all this. From China? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, before all this. So, you know, they were saying even before the pandemic hit that mm-hmm. out of 10, 42% of all our core skills yeah. didn't need to be changed. Now, that didn't mean they were gonna, we wouldn't need them, but they were going to be changed. So they need to be upskilled, reskilled. Um, and and people who didn't need them before are going to need some of these skills. And, uh, you know, then we have 
the pandemic and uh, you know so it throws everything so certainly recruitment and talent acquisition is going to be challenging and right before we were on the air um i we were asking how things were going for them and they said it you know i'll let them describe it but uh it where they expected talent acquisition recruitment to to basically fade from everybody's radar um like it did in 9-11 and 2008 um they were busier than ever mm-hmm. and we say it over and over again um second second quarter of this year we're now almost the last day of the third quarter which will also be very good but second quarter which i expected to completely just stop nobody mm-hmm. would hire nobody promote we want to be doing any testing nothing because everybody's going to go in freeze mode you know we were up over 50 percent um and part of that was last year's second quarter was yeah, a little iffy um over the over year was good but the second quarter was a little iffy but even so, the fact yeah. that I would have been thrilled if I kept pace, <laughs> if, if we would have had this, we would have been talking about this in, in, in March. So um, without further ado, I, I want to basically bring on uh, the authors of a brand new book, uh, The Talent War. Uh, and we're going to be talking about how great organizations uh, can avoid three critical hiring mistakes. And one of my questions uh, to them, uh, and this isn't facetious, but how did they narrow it down to just three? (laughs) uh, You know, it's it's an endless list. So George and Mike, welcome to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Hey, thank you very much. Appreciate being on. It's an honor. Likewise. Yeah. Oh, it's it's very mutual. And and again, appreciate you guys um, for the service you, you've done and, and for the service you're doing now, um, you know, <laughs> yes, for HR, for companies for, and for our, our veterans. I uh, really appreciate it. So let's start. Why don't you do a quick intro for, you know, on each of you, a short bio, and then um, we'll, we'll kind of dive into the show and figure out, you know, how this talent war book, you know, came to be. Age before beauty. Kick it off, George. <laughs> I, you know, I so regret teaching him that line. I really, really do. It's come back to haunt me. Uh, you know, kind of the short version is enlisted to pay my way through school, eventually moved on to becoming an officer, really got the leadership bug in me. Uh, did a number of great leadership positions, started out in Berlin, which kind of gives my age when the wall was up, a uh, number of deployments to Africa and other places, but eventually made the jump to corporate America and semi-accidentally got into resource management and HR um, and found that I just had this overwhelming passion for talent and teams and have been able to make a really good career a little more than 20 years out of being in the human capital space. Yeah, amazing. By the way, I, I do remember the Berlin Wall. I do remember it coming down. Remember? Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> we, we were, we were actually on a now talking about VUCA because you know when the Berlin Wall came down is when the military decided to talk about the VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, which is I can't yeah. I still can't think of a better acronym that aligns with 2020. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. We actually talked about it in the book. Uh, one of the original you know, members of uh, Delta Force uh, was it was a big uh, interviewee uh, for the book by the name of uh, General uh, Boykin. And he is he's just fascinated with the VUCA environment and finding finding the right personalities that can operate in a calm, effective manner in those environments. And that's tough to do. Talk about yeah. trying to find some good talent. <laughs> Very hard. And much like George, Ira, to, to, to your question, born and raised in Silicon Valley, 
uh, did something very uh, uncharacteristic uh, of most of the uh, young men and women in my town. I enlisted in the Marine Corps. Uh, you talk about representing an organization. I met a force recon Marine, which back in the eighties, uh, nineties was their version of special operations. And I was fascinated by the individual, humbly confident, articulate, respectful to everyone um, and humble to boot. And uh, so I said, I wanna be part of that organization. The Marine Corps is a business case example in, in recruiting, joined it, uh, made it into the recon community, became a scout sniper, and then met some Navy SEALs. And I'm like, that's my next challenge. Joined the uh, the SEAL teams uh, and then made it to a certain level within uh, the special operations community known as tier one, uh, 10 combat deployments and fascinated looking back at my time, what made certain teams high performing teams uh, and why did others uh, fail? And that's where George and I uh, are not only partners, we're brothers. Um, we, we are just passionate about this subject and we get it wrong as much as we get it right. How, how did you get together? Because obviously you had, you had different career paths, one, one being younger or older than the other. <laughs> uh, I, I know we look the same age. Uh, I assure you, George is uh, is older. In fact, when he talks about Berlin, people you know look at him and they're like, oh, that must have been a beautiful tour. I'm like, it was during the Cold War. We, we got to remind them. Uh, so the power of LinkedIn. Yeah. I'm with a group called Echelon Front. Echelon Front was started by the two co-authors of Extreme Ownership. If you've heard of that book, it's, it's a New York Times bestseller, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And uh, George reached out to me over LinkedIn and said, hey, I see you're in Austin too. Uh, I, I'm in uh, you know, talent acquisition, would love to sit down. So we met for breakfast, became best friends uh, to the point where he actually married uh, my wife and I, he stood in as the uh, the pastor, had the uh, the crowd uh, literally in tears from laughter. Uh, and then eventually we're like, hey, let's do this. Let's start a company alongside Jocko and Leif. And uh, that's how EF Overwatch, our uh, specialized executive search firm, started. Wonderful. I can ask you where the EF came from. The, the other EF doesn't exist anymore, which is EF Hutton, right? <laughs> yeah. So at Echelon Front. Uh, the, so we're the, the the talent acquisition arm. Echelon Front under Jocko and Leif is a leadership consultancy. So naturally, the question we get when we work with these companies is, okay, where do we find like 10 of you? And at the time, we didn't have a good answer. And I said, hey, I can do this. Cool. So you had a great story. And I guess this was when you, uh, I assume it's when you came out of um, the military and you went into corporate America. And um, you, you, you basically... You were recruited uh, and interviewed by a big box retailer. That will go unnamed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and many of them don't exist anymore, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this one I assure you still does. Um, you know, that leap from, you know, the military, you don't know what you don't know. Um, but there's a part of you that believes you're confident that the leadership skills and the skills that you learned in the military, which, you know, Mike and I refer to as the world's greatest leadership incubator, the U S military, I thought I would transfer those over and, and they do transfer over. Um, but the way that they recruited me in the job that they put me into couldn't have been more of a mismatch. Um, and I don't think they knew what they were looking for. I thought I knew what I was looking for. And while I excelled there, um, you know, they weren't looking for talent. They weren't looking for leaders. You know, really, they were looking for cogs in a wheel, you know, big box retailer. Um, and that's not what people in the military are. They're, they're not cogs in a wheel. They're part of, you know, part of a bigger mission. Everything's critical. Everything's essential. You know, it's, you know, person in the team fails, the mission fails. 
and so it just wasn't a good fit. So, um, you know, took the opportunity to move on into something else. So, I mean, what I, I guess one of the questions is, and I assume that's where some of the origin of, of the, the hiring mistakes. And and I know you, you've identified three, as I said, I don't know how you narrowed it down to three, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. but, but just three. But we're, you know, what was, was there something there that when you look back upon, um, you know, what could, what could they or what could you have done differently um, to recognize that it wasn't a good fit? You know, I, I think for me, you know, when, when you're transitioning, when you're a veteran and you don't know what you don't know, sometimes you have the tendency to see things for what you want them to be versus what they are. So, you know, when I coach veterans and Mike coaches veterans, we make sure that people are looking at it realistically and asking the right questions. You know, when you interview, the questions just aren't an expression of your interest in that company. They're designed to help you frame to make sure that that fit is right for you and right for them. Um, so I didn't know what questions to ask. You know, I didn't know necessarily what to dig into. Um, and they had these this preconceived job description with, you know, objective requirements that weren't necessarily really thought out. And it, it was like, you know, matching playing cards. Okay, I've got a heart here. I've got a heart here, a club and a club. They match. Let's move forward. So, you know, um, you know, we talk about the, you know, it is hard to narrow down the mistakes, but, you know, the number one mistake, first, first and foremost, that Mike and I talk about is companies lack a talent mindset, which is the deep core belief that your human capital is your only differentiator that will allow you to maintain a competitive advantage over time. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, you know, there were a number of mistakes that we had to narrow down, but it, you know, after you have a talent mindset, you've got to really back up and say, you know, what are we planning to do? What is our strategic plan here? People just go into it and, and turn the cranks and, and it's a machine, objective requirements, number of years of experience. We'll put out a job description, we'll interview candidates, we go through the machinations and we get a butt in the seat. Um, and Mike and I have seen that so many times over the course of our career. And, and it's, you know, even if you have a talent mindset, if you still don't have a strategic plan and know what success looks like, you're going to fail time and time again. I don't even know where to begin, but I'm going to try to make a, a stab at it. We, I and I talk all the time about the lack of leadership as it relates to prioritizing human capital. We had a guest of ours, Dave Bookbinder, who wrote the new ROI, Return on Individual. He talks about how, I'm going to mess it up, but he says, to make a successful company go, you have to have financial capital, you have to have some other capital, but you have to have human capital first. And if you don't, something like that. Sorry, Dave. Um, how? What's it like when you go into an organization and you realize they don't have number one or number two? Is it a board of directors conversation? Is a management conversation? Where do you start to chisel away at this? Because, guys, this is it. This is, as far as I can tell, in my humble opinion, this is the way that a company can move from, you know, the worst to first in any category. Where do you start? So, Keith, you hit it. Talent acquisition, let's just say human capital management across the board is a subset of leadership. And it's a very critical component of leadership, but it's one we rarely talk about. How many MBA programs have a focus on human capital? They don't, they don't consider it a, a core business skill. 
And so this is why we give leaders sort of a pass. They're like, hey, you know what? I've been missing this. We get people reaching out on LinkedIn every day. Like, I, I haven't even thought about this. And we're like, it's okay. Because you're so concerned with driving revenue or R&D or, or to, to make your product better that you miss the most important uh, sort of driver behind all of those, yeah. your people. Your yeah. people are the hidden line on the balance sheet, yet they're the most important. They're, they're your largest overhead expense. So with the talent war, when George and I were having these conversations over breakfast and lunch, and we, we eventually committed to writing a book, but how are we going to do it different? And you know, with our backgrounds in the military, one organization in the United States does it better than almost anyone. And that is the special operations community, which I, I think Ira and, and you would admit there's a fascination with our U.S. special operations, mm -hmm. agile, effective, efficient, uh, innovative, um, and they dominate their space. And really, SOCOM, U.S. Special Operations Command, had to develop this innate talent mindset uh, based really off three principles. One, there is no one with special operations industry experience. If we went to a high school and said, hey, guys, we need people with five years of special operations experience, no one would raise their hands. So by nature, we had a good, become very good at identifying raw talent based off two things. One, character, or what we can call attributes, and two, mindset. If we know an individual has those two things, we can train them to all the hard skills that are necessary. And it's a very, very complex job. Um, two, special operations wins as teams not individuals. Rambo, that's a great Hollywood uh, movie that does not exist in, in our uh, line of work. It is teams that dominate their competition. Uh, if, if there are Rambos, I definitely was not one, um, though I served with some guys that are pretty darn close. Uh, so, it, you know, when you look at those things, uh, that is what American businesses are, are missing. It is that one, you know, they usually look at the uh, objective rather than the subjective, which is focusing in on character and mindsets. And Keith, you bring up uh, COVID and Naira brings up VUCA. You know, on the leadership consultancy side, with what we've seen when COVID hit, is a lot of our clients, and we focus predominantly on small to mid-sized businesses, um, they were losing their minds. Their people could not deal with the chaos and, and the, the volatility, uh, you know, uh, ambiguity, uh, the chaos, the uncertainty. Um, and so really what it highlighted is that they weren't assessing and selecting the people capable of dealing with that environment into their organization. And when it hit, they realized that they had made a big miss in building a team capable of performing in any environment. And so that's why we focused on U.S. special operations as a business case example yeah. for companies to emulate. Yeah, for sure. Hey, uh, we're going to be coming up on a, a, a break here just in, in a little bit, uh, but we've been talking with... Uh, Mike Sorelli and George Randall about their new book, The Talent War. Um, great what lessons learned from the military, uh, putting it into business. Uh, as you were talking, Mike, uh, the I, I, we did a webcast a few weeks ago. I did a webcast a few weeks ago with uh, Dr. Uh, Salon Shira. Um, she's a data scientist. She calls herself a data wonk. Uh, she was she was actually a CHRO for a couple companies, uh, trying to get them to to look at the data. Uh, her focus has become uh, diverse. Well, two things. Uh, one is she, and it was interesting that that we were all talking about the, the lack of ROI or measurement of a, uh, of human capital management, and 
the critical role that human capital plays. And she, and like many other people who have been able to document this, there is a direct line to the bottom line. Oh yeah. Uh, and ROI. And she, I think many people have done this, but I, I know her personally and she has done just in amazing work to link, um, you know, everything, you know, whether it's attrition or retention or engagement, um, to profitability, productivity, uh, performance, uh, you know, it's nothing new. It just drives me, I, it, it's like crazy. Why, why don't people adopt this? Why don't people get it? And they, they, there was, and I, I was, I just literally submitted an article on it about her work of, of that interview and how it relates to uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially the equity part. And I can't remember if this was a McKinsey or, or somebody. It was a significant uh, uh, group that only 7%, only 7% of uh, companies have KPIs for human capital. 7%. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? It, it That's another – and, you know, we, we cover a lot of mistakes in the book, but one of the absolute critical things is – most CHROs aren't looked at as strategic partners. And, right. and, you know, so the work that she does is rather unique. And we all look at it and say, well, it makes perfect sense. Why aren't we doing that? But on the whole, they're not. And, you know, we, we have this great story. One of my uh, mentors and coaches, and you probably know her, Tracy Keogh, who is the uh, CHRO of HP. Remember, she had this great quip, and I will forever remember it which is, you know, she was invited into an executive meeting and somebody looked at her and said, hey, Tracy, we're, we're glad you're at the table. And Tracy just shot back immediately said, we are the table. <laughs> and and it, it starts from there. But when your CHRO isn't strategic, you know, you're never going to get to those KPIs. You're never going to get to the linkage between your hiring and your performance and your revenue and your product development and your client service metrics, you know, your net promoter scores. You can indeed, she's absolutely right. You can connect all of that stuff, but you can't connect it when your CHRO is looked at as compliance or operational or administrative. And that's where it starts to Mike's point, the top of the leadership chain. Yeah. And the CHRO is tied to the CEO and they have that talent mindset. And from there, great things can happen. Yeah. And Mike, I know you have something you want to respond to, uh, but we're going to do it right after the break. Uh, you are listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. We've got Mike Sorelli and George Randall, co-authors of the new book, The Talent War, um, and can't wait to get back and continue on this. Uh, you are, you know, you're going to hear from our two sponsors, Zor.ai and Success Performance Solutions. We'll be back in less than two minutes. Hiring top talent shouldn't be left up to the roll of the dice. And yet, that's exactly what many organizations do. They roll the dice, cross their fingers, and pray for a better outcome. Hiring the right employees the first time is much too important and way too costly to leave to a game of chance. Your employees and your customers deserve better. For 25 years, Success Performance Solution has been helping small and medium-sized businesses hire smarter. They offer pre-employment and leadership assessments from typing and data entry, to C-suite competence. Whether it's production, sales, healthcare, call centers, or management, Success Performance Solutions can help. Visit their website at www.successperformancesolutions.com to schedule a free demo or call 
803-4303. Imagine how your company would grow if your candidate experience earned a 99% approval rating. Well, to get to 99%, you need the three best letters in recruitment technology, XOR. Zor's text bots, chatbots, and audio bots increased IKEA's candidate conversion rate 455%. Zor decreases candidate drop-off rates, improves your candidate experience, and collects analytics for future strategies. To learn more, check out Zor.ai. That's XOR.ai. Hey, welcome back, everyone, uh, to the second segment of our Geek Skeezes and Googleization show. I'm your host, Ira Wolf, here with Keith Compagna, my co-host. And our guests today are Mike Storelli and George Randall, authors of the new book, The Talent War. Uh, Mike, when we left off, uh, we are talking about the kind of the measurement or lack of KPIs and measurement of human capital. Uh, and you know how it's well proven. There, there's substantial, significant science behind this evidence uh, that human capital is linked to bottom line performance, and yet we can't get beyond that. So, Ira, it, it, it's it's one again that, that George and I talked about a lot, and what what we came to the conclusion was because the special operations community, going back to them, has four axioms what they call the, 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 I'm sorry, actually five special operations truths. And each of those truths revolves around people. They get it. Technology is great, but technology will fail. What you can't have fail within your organization is people. So uh, again, a lot of us end up in a linear train of thought as leaders in the organization because we're dealing with so much. I, I don't envy CEOs whatsoever. It's one of the hardest jobs in the world. But what we tend to do with that traditional linear train of thought is classify HR, as George hit it, as you know either a overhead or compliance uh, initiative. Um, and we also view it as a non-revenue generating function. Okay, that, that's a direct way to look at it. But if you can view things indirectly, it's actually your largest revenue generating function. And, and to your point, now you're saying we can Trace it back to the bottom line, how important this is. It is the function that feeds each of your, your revenue, traditional revenue generating functions with the talent to drive results. And when a CEO can sort of come to that epiphany or the senior leaders and understand that, they start to develop this talent mindset. And that's that's really the, the, the paradigm shift that a lot of leaders have to make. And, and that's hard, again, when you're focused on so many things. When if you're a public company, you've got board of directors and shareholders, you know, looking down in your back about driving revenues, you, you, you tend to put talent and human capital management uh, as a lesser priority. So Ira knows I'm chomping at the bit here. Um, now I can see him do it. <laughs> guys, I love this. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This is this is the, the quality stuff. And, and my question to you, Mike, is how what is it about the talent war or maybe your approach as consultants that gets CEOs to actually come out of the funk? Because the, what, what lies behind what I believe lies behind what you just said is that the CEOs don't know any better. They've gone through college, got their MBAs, drive revenue, screw the employees. We've got extra ones we could just hire. Turns out we don't have those extra employees anymore. Turns out none of them have any skill sets. So now as I view the value of a CEO, 
it's growing because they have to be human focused. But the fact check me here, throw me your opinion. 96% of them aren't human focused. So how do you guys get in there to really kind of snap the mold into place so that they can be human, human capital focused? George, I'll take the first snap at this. We, We really, you know, we don't do direct sales. We're not seeking out companies to, to bring our services to them. We wait. Yeah. We wait for those CEOs that maybe read the book or see you know see us on the podcast or doing the LinkedIn, and they say, hey, you know what? You make great points. I just never even considered it. Can you help? When somebody has the humility to say, hey, I, I've built a $40 million top-line company, but you know what? We've never thought of talent this way. Can you help push us to, to the $80 million mark? Those are the people we want to work with that have that humility to, 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 to say that. So uh, it's the same thing with people that come to, uh, you know, that need help with seeking talent for the talent acquisition arm. Um, one of the core fundamentals that we need to hear from leaders is that leadership is more important than industry experience. If we do not hear that from the client, we will not take them on as a client. Um, it, that is that is pivotal to us. And, and it goes back to the heart of the talent war uh, about the nine foundational attributes uh, and how special operations has built one of the most respected organizations in the world. You know, Keith, it's it's hard to it is hard to change those mindsets. But you know, one of the things, and we 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 show we demonstrated in the book, and, and that is your products, the speed of the economy, the speed of markets, the speed of bringing a, a product to market or a service to market is blindingly fast. You can be outdated very very quickly, and in any industry it's your people that are the competitive advantage right. and when you get the people wrong you get the enrons you get the blockbusters i mean how many companies could we go through when you got the talent wrong don't exist or took huge hits uh and are struggling and those people that are placing talent first and mike and i will provide plenty of examples to them you know those are the ones that are succeeding thriving and winning and so it is hard to change those mindsets but you know it's your only competitive advantage. And if we, if we can get them to believe, like Mike said, leadership is everything. It's the solution to every problem. And number two, that people are your most competitive advantage. We can go to work from there and help out. You know, one thing I have for, for Ira and Keith, and, I, and we're interested in this because George and I talk about this, is that, you know, maybe we're to the point to help awaken a lot of this, this 96% that you're talking about, Keith, is that HR needs to be rebranded. HR sort of has this compliance uh, feel to it is, and I know some people dislike it is, no, it it is people operations. And that, that operation is one of the hardest operations to run because people by nature are, are very unique. Sometimes they're very crazy. Uh, Somebody that can uh, become good, both at the talent acquisition piece and the talent uh, management piece is is truly a master in people operations. Um, That we think maybe that, that, you know, that would assist with the push and then, for a lot of leaders that we we work with too, it's that, you know, don't mean to be critical is that we look at whoever, you know, their HR director and and just the person is not a, right. what we would define as an A player. If you don't have an aggressive, uh, intelligent uh, leader in charge of your HR, you're behind the power curve. You need somebody that has a curiosity to learn every facet of the business of what sales needs, of what marketing needs, what finance needs. Uh, they have mm-hmm. to be a, a a student of the business and almost know it, which makes their job harder because the sales director just needs to know about sales. But an HR or, or a chief people officer 
needs to know about every facet of the business. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that uh, real quick because I don't want to keep you guys from talking, but I was in an event uh, about a year ago and really good speaker, leadership, local out of the Philadelphia area. And they posed the question to a room full, maybe 50, 60 HR practitioners um, about being a part of the business conversations. And I mm-hmm. couldn't help myself. Once it got to the Q&A section, I raised my hand. I said, just if you could raise your hand, if you know what your key business drivers are. Oh, yeah. Two people, two people raised their hand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you mentioned the sales leaders, Mike. I'm not so sure that the same percentage of sales leaders know what's going on inside of HR. It's like. If it's going to be a leadership thing, we got to swipe the labels off and talk about people because the people are in HR, they're in sales, they're in development, they're in every single capacity. Yeah. Meanwhile, nobody knows how to connect the dots. And, and Keith, to, to your point, which was there is, which were great examples, the sales manager, I mean, how many, how many times do sales managers do the hiring and don't allow HR to do it? Oh, God, I, I could take forever just on that one topic alone. And and sales leaders are some of the worst. Oh, I know best. Right. And then, right. then of course, all, we get into all, nepotism. All get it. Yeah, you have to be an extrovert to, to be able to sell, right? right. <laughs> so yeah. hey, I, I want to make sure we cover this because we, yeah. we did put this out. We, we had three hiring mistakes. We've covered two of them. We just didn't identify them as, as the top two. The first one that you had identified was there's no talent mindset. We talked mm-hmm. about the second one was HR does not serve a strategic role. We've been talking about that. Um, what's the third? Uh, fear-based hiring and butts and seats mentality. When people um, are more attuned to, you know, the red flags of a hire versus green flags, they're, they're hiring so they don't lose that headcount. They think somebody is better than nobody in that seat. Um, and they've got to get somebody in that seat to advance the team, advance the product, advance the service, and they're operating out of fear versus out of how do I actually get somebody that not only is going to lift our team an A player, but somebody that's going to be an A player for the problems and the challenges that haven't hit us yet. It's like, what do I need right now? What are those objective experience requirements? Three years of experience here, four years of experience here. You know, this degree, that degree, okay, they've worked at our competitor. Let's move quickly, butt and seat, we're ready to go. You see so, time, time again, turning the cranks. And, and to back George up on this, so fear-based hiring was coined by our uh, one of our co-authors, uh, Dr. Josh Cotton. This is a cool story. Out of his doctorate, IO psychology, industrial organizational psychology, he was hired by the Navy to assess how the Navy SEALs assess and select people under their organization. Again, back to the soft community, we've been evolving our process for over five decades and it's still evolving. This thing called a feedback loop is how we continually ask, hey, is the talent we're pulling in tomorrow the right talent for five years, 10 years down the road? So a feedback loop is critical and we talk about that on the the book. So he eventually went into the corporate sector. Uh, He's the uh, director of talent assessments for Honeywell now, but um, he really hones in on the soft community hires based off potential. It's potential-based hiring because we know we can teach the hard skills that the people have the attributes that we require. So he talks about fear-based hiring. He really focuses in on this thing, the 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 objective assessments, because you know for a lot of HR managers that are lazy, they're just going to go right to the objective. It's a, a, a tr- person that truly masters this art uh, of people and, and talent assessment, want to look at the subjective and want to identify, is this a person that could survive a COVID scenario 
and actually prosper and thrive in that type of environment. And a lot of HR uh, people don't do that. I know we place a lot of, uh, you know, uh, we point fingers at, at the senior leadership uh, of companies, but we also are holding our HR brothers and sisters in arms accountable as well. You've actually, you've got tougher uh, hurdles to, to overcome. You actually have to be very aggressive at what you do, improve your value. You have to communicate your value to your senior leaders through your actions. And then the butts and seats, again, it goes back to the soft truths. Um, quality is better than quantity. And the second you start treating HR or people operations as a taking or order taking service, you're wrong. And that's often how they get treated. And it's, it becomes reactive rather than proactive, building your bench full of talent uh, in anticipation of growth. And here's where I think the listening audience has to understand. Special Ops was a 50-year project. You know, mm -hmm. when I do my keynotes, I bring up the fact that for about eight or nine decades, HR has been considered a cost center. This is not something that's going to happen overnight. Right. However, there seems to be this rush to actually get change moving along fast. What's the role? We only have a couple minutes here, but maybe if you don't mind me asking you to, how do you see technology being brought in to help? Maybe they're not, there's not a lot of A players out there, guys. You know that. So how can B players and maybe C players, what do they need to know about using technology to maybe expedite the time it takes to evolve this message? And this, and this mindset, not just the message, but the actual practicality of it. Well, I think, you know, the use of technology and AI and talent acquisition in HR and you know, one of the things we talk about in the book is that when you're evaluating and looking for those A players, you're always going to use some kind of multivariate approach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think artificial intelligence, I think good assessment tools like Dr. Jess Cotton came up with the Elite Performance Indicator. You have Hogan assessments. Uh, you have the Leadership Circle. I think all of those assessments and all of those pieces of technology and the ability to aggregate big data and and help you zero in on what on the success attributes of somebody i think is absolutely something that we ought to be doing more of but before you get to the technology piece if you don't have the basics of blocking and tackling that talent mindset and understanding what is predictive of success that technology is just going to be another cost expenditure that hr just put on their budget line yeah. and it's not going to return what people think it's going to return you have to have the basics down and i think you know, not to go long-winded on the question, but that's where Mike and I, there was so much that we could cover in this space, but the biggest thing was getting the mindset and the character attributes out there that have made, you know, special forces what they are today mm -hmm. as the starting point of doing the basics. Go from the basics, crawl, walk, run. The run is the AI and all the technology today, and most people are hardly out of the crawl phase. Hey, yeah. Keith, we are gonna use technology to our advantage. I mean, special operations does it uh, in contrast to our enemy during the global war on terror. We, we had night vision, we had body armor, uh, we, we had other technologies that, that, that we utilize. And of course we use those to our advantage, but I'll push back uh, on you with regards to uh, having beasts, BNC players in charge of right. hiring that are gonna use technology. I knew he was. It's, I knew he was. Still, it's still the root of the problem. We're, if, if you're saying, hey, technology will, will solve this fact, it's not. So you talked about the sales managers being overly involved in the hiring process, not letting their, their professionals and people uh, you know, do what they do best. So the special operations community 
because we understand a critical critical part of being a leader is you have to run training or assessment and selection at some point to become a well-rounded leader. And the business world does not do this. Right. If that sales manager wants to be involved in the hiring process, and this is very hard for companies to do, but it will be invaluable to the leadership development of that leader, is you have to take them out of that function selling for six months to a year and put them in, in charge of hiring. And you explain it to them, hey, you are actually going to have a, a, a exponential effect on this company because you understand what's required for the position. Now we need to train you how to assess and select and build teams. And that's what you're going to focus on for one year. We do this with special operations. We take our very best off the battlefield. And trust me, they want to be on the battlefield, much like a salesperson wants to be making right. sales calls. Right. And they, we say, hey, for the next two years, we understand we're taking you away from your team. But this is what's best for the organization. And we need you focused. This is your primary job is hiring is assessing talent into the organization. And, and businesses are pretty bad, I, you know, making a sweeping organization. I'd love your opinion on that, but I, I don't think businesses, most businesses do a good job of that. And, and I'd love to, to continue that, but I regret this so much that we're running up to the, to the end. <laughs> okay. Um, what do you guys do next week? <laughs> yeah, what I'd like both of you to do uh, is one is how can, how can people get uh, in touch with you? Um, where are they going to be able to get the book? And then if each of you can share one thing, this question was asked to me in a little slightly different way mm -hmm. uh, on one of my interviews, but uh, with a new book coming out, what's the title of your favorite chapter in your book? Do you want to go first, George. Mike? <laughs> it's uh, the chat. We're both going to answer the same thing. We both argued over the last one. <laughs> well, yeah, it, actually, George, I, you know, I've never asked you this, but I will say it's you can't hire or fire your way to success. I was right. If we were going to okay. say the same thing. So we end the book. We end the book with this chapter because we talk about a, building a world-class talent acquisition process. But then we come back to the fact that it says, hey, we gave you all this good stuff. But actually, before you do that, you actually got to get this leadership component down first. Right. Because if you have horrible leadership, but a world-class talent acquisition process, you're going to become a revolving door for talent because good talent does not put up with bad leadership. And it really, you know, we didn't re recognize this until we got to the end of the book. And we're like, hey, you know what? We're missing this this main thing, George. Yeah, same chapter uh, for me. And we struggled because there's been so many books written on leadership, but we wanted to close it out. But that was really, really important. A players want to work for A players. Uh, a players will not tolerate working for B or C players. So, you know, we love the whole book. There's, I think they're great insights and to reach, you can reach Mike or I, it's either George at EFOverwatch.com, Mike at EFOverwatch.com, or please connect with us on LinkedIn. Uh, we're, we're happy to reach out and kind of spread the word. You know, this is our way of kind of giving back. We've been in service for a number of years, but we believe the number one and most powerful thing in the world is the U.S. economy. And we want to continue yes. to make it better. And, and, and it's the it's the thing that feeds the military uh, for the book. Uh, it's still in pre-release. It officially releases on November 10th. If you don't know that date, it's the Marine Corps birthday. Yes, we did that on purpose because uh, I think the Marine Corps is one of the finest organizations in, in, in the land. Um, but you can buy it at Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Congratulations, guys. Thank you so much. This was Ira. I, I know we don't I don't usually say this because I don't want to hurt the feelings of other guests, but this was bringing it, guys. Your your passion, your service, thank you very much for all of it, and best of luck. Uh, we'll, I'll be in touch, and, and hopefully we'll get you back on the show and we'll talk a little bit more. Thank yeah. you. And thank I want to get back very much. Right now. What, what, what are the traits and skills uh, uh, that we need for VUCA? So, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't even get there, uh, which I am going to reach out to you guys, and this is going to be one part of my way of closing. 
Uh, we just partnered with a new organization um, that's got done a ton of research on the adaptive on a, something called the adaptability quotient, and it measures mm-hmm. two of the things, two out of the three things. Well, we talked about all three of them. It measures uh, ability, it measures character, and it measures environment. So it's looking at are people struggling with being adaptive in this because of the environment, the, the people they hang with, the company that they work in, or is it due to their character? their attitude, or is it due to their ability? And if we don't, and they identified actually 17 different dimensions that can be measured, just as in all the other assessments that you're talking about and provide. A lot of good research, a lot of good organizations are backing this up. So I'm going to share, I'm going to share a link with you guys. We're going to be more talking about that in the next three weeks from now. Uh, Our guests are going to be Mike Raven and Ross Thornley, who are the uh, founders of this organization. So we'll listen guys so, thank you again, guys hey thank you very much thank you for everything you're doing thanks for your service and um stay safe it was an honor thanks, thanks guys yeah appreciate, appreciate it. it and good luck with the book so we'll be getting the copy oh keith that was good that was super good um you know i've got like a whole list of questions here as i usually do uh we definitely could you know i just saw there was an interview somebody was on i think mike was on both of them were on it's like a three-hour interview it was like a go back and forth and go yeah. oh, it's long i can see how we can easily do it with those guys um final comment uh i think it exposes how much work is ahead of hr i think it exposes how hard it is for people to actually get out of their own way and start to put into practice you know these the guys touched on it these are real things. The way that we go through, most companies go through their job is outdated. It doesn't even apply to today's pace, today's people. And I know I'm, I'm curious to see how it all turns out. So uh, great, great job on getting them on. Hey, thanks, everyone, for listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show. Uh, I'm your host, Ira Wolf, and I'm here with Keith. Uh, and thanks again to Zor.ai and Success Performance Solutions for being our sponsors. If anybody's interested in joining us as a sponsor, uh, please reach out to us. we got a couple spots. Uh, interested in the replay? We're now on YouTube, Facebook, and we're now on Amazon. I can't remember if I mentioned that week last week, but we are now on Amazon Music. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeart, SoundCloud, you name it. We're there. Uh, And I'm going to close this week with two things. Uh, One is, this was from Mike. I heard him say this. You will be tested in the future. (laughs) You will be tested. We will all be tested. We are being tested. But until the next episode of the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show, this is Ira Wolf and Keith Compagna. Don't let the shift hit your plans. Thank you.